Hello everyone, I'm Albert Ferrari, Research Associate at FSR Climate, and today we are back with Peter Wies. In this second episode of the podcast on the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, we will focus on the design and implementation of the CBAM in practice. So, Peter, Jos Delbecke and yourself published last December an insightful policy brief recommending a way forward for a carbon border adjustment mechanism by the EU. What advice would you give to the European Commission in developing its proposal? The first thing I would say is that I don't think that Jos and I were recommending as such a border adjustment mechanism. Uh, we were rather saying, if there is to be one, how can it be operationalized? Um, and our most basic recommendation was that it would, it ought to be operationalized in conjunction with the European emissions trading system, uh, applied to the sectors already covered or some of the sectors already covered, and that the EU ETS in Europe serves as the best tool that the carbon price in Europe is the best measure of what the regulatory costs are in Europe. And we can then extrapolate and try to impose a similar cost on imports. Uh, the thrust of the policy brief we produced last year, uh, after a consultative process, you know, a high-level policy dialogue preceded it with both business and policymakers. Um, it can be done. That's the message. It can be done. There are already existing rules with regards to goods imported into the European Union, which are just as complicated to administer. And I'm thinking particularly of rules of origin of products that are often exported from the European Union for processing, for instance, or uh, components of products that are exported from the European Union, assembled elsewhere, re-imported into the European Union. Customs authorities are used to the complexities of these rules of origin so you know and they encompass many more complex manufactured goods than uh, the carbon border adjustment mechanism would apply to because in all likelihood the carbon border adjustment mechanism will apply to uh, basic uh, commodities and goods such as uh, steel cement uh, you know possibly electricity uh, and those are sort of inputs into manufactured goods. So uh, I think it can be done. However, I really do think that it's important, and indeed the policy brief was very uh, clear, that there needed to be diplomatic outreach by the European Union to uh, engage with third countries that are likely to be impacted by this measure uh, in order that there perhaps be already clarity uh, as to why we're doing it, which is, after all, for the common good. We're trying to be more ambitious on climate change. That is the goal that we should all be welcoming. Um, but, you know, to explain that it will have to apply to certain goods manufactured in third countries um, requires time and effort. And I think it would appear 
uh, too unilateral if the EU was to do this alone. And um, ideally, they should find partners to do it in conjunction with perhaps creating a coalition of countries that are prepared to act in a similar way um, and perhaps exempt each other's products, but make clear to all countries that they can join the coalition if they fulfill certain conditions. And I think most basically, the problem for third countries is they don't yet know what Europe is going to do, uh, nor the conditions that might have to be fulfilled in order to be exempted from the carbon border adjustment mechanism. So in the absence of clarity, it's very difficult to expect countries to be stepping up uh, because they really don't know how, what exactly they should do in order to meet the criteria that Europe would be setting. And I think also uh, the European Commission is would be well advised to work very closely with European industry because it's for them that this is being done at all. I mean, it's trying to prevent European industry from relocating outside the European Union. And one of the things the Commission has repeatedly said is that if we're going to introduce a carbon border adjustment mechanism, then free allocation under the emissions trading system will have to end. Um, the European Parliament's report adopted did in fact argue that free allocation ought to be able to be maintained in coexistence with a carbon border adjustment mechanism. But clearly, that should not uh, infringe WTO rules. There shouldn't be undue advantage given to European industry. And the problem with the industry isn't just a question of making it operational. It's also that if the measure is misunderstood or, uh, or objected to by third countries, there is a danger that third countries will retaliate. Um, and they don't necessarily, they wouldn't choose to retaliate symmetrically. They wouldn't necessarily do it on the products that uh, a carbon border adjustment mechanism is being applied to. They would potentially retaliate against products in a completely different section of industry. Maybe it's uh, cars or cheese or wine. I mean, they could, the third countries will retaliate where they think it'll hurt. So in a way, all of industry, even industry that's not uh, going to be uh, directly concerned by a carbon aboard adjustment mechanism, should be vigilant and wants surely to ensure that there isn't retaliatory action taken by third countries. My own feeling is that the carbon border adjustment mechanism would benefit from a stepwise approach by the Commission. Um, it's been announced in the Green Deal communication. Uh, it's once or twice been repeated since then. But I would really think that it would be appropriate for the Commission to adopt a white paper uh, that explained how it saw the mechanism as being applied and testing that um, again, against, well, seeing what reactions industry might have, both within Europe and indeed third countries, how they might react. 
because at the moment it's really everyone's in the dark as to how it's going to be operationalized. And when we were developing emissions trading 15 years ago or more, nearly 20 years ago in 2000, we adopted a green paper, which was again a consultation document where we described how we saw an emissions system, emissions trading system as possibly working. Um, but the consultation was fruitful and we were able to sort of make a proposal within 12 months or 18 months of that green paper. So I do think that a stepwise approach would be beneficial. And I don't think the European Union should ideally do this alone. I think the importance of finding some other countries with whom to make a coalition or an alliance would be extremely beneficial. Uh, it wouldn't then be just the European Union passing judgments on other people's, other countries' nationally determined contributions. It would be a selection of countries who were obviously stepping up in terms of climate ambition. And it could be, I think, more easily conveyed that this was not a protectionist move, not something designed to favor in any way European industry. Um, and then I think that finally, I would strongly recommend that any revenues that are generated through the carbon border adjustment mechanism would go back to least developed countries in some way or another so that they can adapt to climate change, uh, fund technology transfers and things like that. Um, so the revenues, I don't think, should go to Europe. Um, I think they should be returned, as it were, to these developed countries. And I think that is an easier uh, position to have internationally, uh, because then, of course, the least developed countries might see that some interest in this happening themselves. They might not themselves be producing steel that's imported into the European Union, but they would nevertheless potentially benefit and therefore possibly be more supportive of the initiative. So that's the sort of advice I would give. I know it's horrible to give advice to one's former colleagues. They've got enough people telling them what to do without me adding to that. But, you know, you asked and I've put it on the table and they can follow or not the advice I give. But uh, in any case, there is plenty of work to do. Thank you for this clear answer. What you mentioned just before about do not do it alone and the importance of having an alliance or a coalition. As you know, we work on the project LiveDigit focused on deepening international cooperation among emission trading schemes and we also contribute to the Florence process of the DG Climate Action to foster this cooperation among ETS regulators. The last recommendation of the policy brief mentioned that with the Climate Ambition Coalition the CBAM would become almost superfluous. So could we do without it? Well, I think we've, we've done without a carbon border adjustment mechanism for the last 15 years. But of course, people will be very quick to say that for most of those 15 years, the carbon price in Europe was not very high. And it's becoming almost by the day, it's getting higher and higher. Um, but I would say that there are perhaps other tools that could be used so as to try and ensure the same effect as a C-band. Um, I think the first thing is that if more countries of the world 
perhaps the biggest emerging economies of the world, such as G20 countries, were to step up their climate ambition in a way comparable with the European Union, um, that would ensure that producers of goods in, from those countries would in some way or another be bearing a higher regulatory cost, reflecting the higher ambition of their country. To some extent, the problem with Kyoto Protocol construction was that only the 38 most industrialized countries in the world had obligations under the Kyoto Protocol and all the other countries in the world had no obligations, no quantitative obligations on their emissions. Under the Paris Agreement, it's at least inclusive. All countries are covered by commitments, but those commitments are nationally determined. But if there is a comparability of effort amongst the industrialized or G20 countries emerging economies, then I think we certainly reduce the need for there to be any adjustments at the border. And the other tool that we have used in the European Union is that we have tried to negotiate in trade agreements that our trade partners subscribe to the Paris Agreement, for example, and indeed implement their commitments under the Paris Agreement uh, effectively. Now, those in the more recent cases of trade agreements, those are sort of conditionalities that are written into the agreement itself. Uh, and they have been quite effective, I think. But, and in particular, just to take the latest uh, trade agreement that's been agreed, it, it would be the trade and cooperation agreement with the United Kingdom. Uh, it's more specific than any other in terms of making uh, a comparable climate uh, ambition an obligation on both sides. And indeed, there is a reference, if I'm not mistaken, towards a commitment to net zero emissions in 2050, uh, which both the UK and the European Union are committed to. And then, of course, you could argue that there is there are other ways of encouraging industrial uh, production in Europe. And I think the beginning of that can be seen in the Innovation Fund, which has been created and it's it started in effect last year. Um, with the first call for proposal, whereby money generated by the emissions trading system and the auctioning of a certain quantity of allowances, that money is dedicated to helping industry innovate and, uh, in effect, uh, you know, encouraging industry to stay in Europe, uh, perhaps tap this source of funding in order to help it innovate and stay competitive and bringing costs down of these new technologies. And of course, you one could imagine that that sort of process would be expanded in the future in such a way as to make it a, a almost an incentive to 
locate in Europe because access to those sorts of funds for industries that are ready to innovate and bear the risks and costs of innovation, they would be uh, partially funded by the European Union. So I think uh, those are all the ways in which we might avoid there being a need for a carbon border adjustment mechanism. Um, and I suppose if there is one, in practice, it will start in a stepwise way on certain products with a view to seeing whether this mechanism is going to deliver on expectations. Uh, and I imagine there will be the place to start, I think, would be uh, would be on products that can be easily monitored in terms of their carbon content. Um, and they would be, ideally, I think we should start with products where there is a real risk of leakage. We should almost do a, an analysis, and I'm sure the Commission might already be doing this, of where the potential leakage will be most acute. And on those products, it would seem that would be a suitable place to start in terms of the CBAMS application, if that's the way we're going to go. But I think, of course, just to make a link with your project, the Life Dyset project, uh, it's basically trying to explore uh, the linkages of carbon trading systems across the world. And indeed, if there is explicit carbon pricing in other jurisdictions across the world, the more the better and the less chance there is of the sorts of distortion or cause for carbon leakage. Um, and to some extent, then you, you remove the need for there to be a carbon border adjustment by the fact that there's more explicit carbon pricing in other jurisdictions of the world. So perhaps there's other ways than the CBAM, but I think for now the CBAM is clearly on the table and it's the, the next major move will be by the European Commission in June when they come up with a proposal uh, as to how to make this all operational. So that's perhaps all I can say at this stage, Albert, but thank you very much for these questions. Um, it's been a pleasure having the chance to give my point of view. Thank you. Thank you once again, Peter, for this insightful conversation and for starting off our podcast series Spot on Climate with these two episodes. We look forward to monitoring how this CBAM proposal will develop and we hope we'll have other occasions to speak to you. If you would like to access the policy brief mentioned during the conversation, please have a look at the description of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, and we hope to welcome you soon again.